Welcome back to another episode of the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. This is season two. I'm your host, Alex Meacham, former UC basketball player from 1997 to 1999 under the legendary coach, Bob Huggins. I was fortunate enough to wear the iconic Jordan brand unis during my time. Now you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham is spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, Big Meach 41. And now I can officially say this on season two. I am now on TikTok at Alex Meacham 41. This is a special edition of the podcast, my interview series with a very special guest. Bearcat fans, I'm excited to welcome in this former Bearcat. Great to play for the Bearcats from 1989 and 1990. Served as a walk-on under the legendary coach, Bob Huggins. Even though his time was short at UC, he will always have a historic name in Bearcat history. I would like to welcome in my guy, Steve Sanders. What up, Steve? What's going on, Meech? Man, I am making that was, that it, man. A, that was a great introduction. I, I got to cash app you some money. <laughs> <laughs> please, please do, man. <laughs> I like that. I like that, man. Hey, so so tell all Bearcat fans what you are up to today. What are you doing these days? Today, right now, I am the assistant director of Parks and Recreation for the city of Springdale. Nice. So now, is this, is this a new job? Did you just get promoted to that? I, yeah, I actually, this is a new job prior to this, and, and it's not going to sound like a promotion, but it actually is. I was the director of Parks and Recreation for the Village of Woodlawn. So I did that for five years, but moving from a, you know, people know from as moving from a, a village to a city, it's a huge difference. Mm. So all, so although the title, I'm assistant director now, is, is really a huge promotion. Great. Congrats. Congrats on that for sure. Yeah, and um, and your family. You want to talk a little bit about your family? Family, family is good. I'm I'm not married now, but I have um, four daughters. Wow. Two grown. Two. I know, right? (laughs) Two grown, (laughs) and um, and two daughters that are twelve and nine years old. My um, my second oldest daughter, um actually played basketball. So she played basketball at Princeton High School. Mm-hmm. And then she went on to play at Ohio State. And now she is actually coaching at the University of Akron. My oldest daughter is married. She has three kids and she has her own business. And then my two younger daughters, of course, are just are just being high maintenance girls. <laughs> <laughs> are they uh, future hoopers too? They do not like sports one bit <laughs> okay hey there's nothing wrong with that it's not i just want them to be happy and they're happy and they're they are very intelligent they both have been um labeled as gifted kids so i'm 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 elated so were you let me ask you this and, and obviously with with the tragic death of kobe bryant and his daughter um you know it kind of brought to light a lot of fathers um that had daughters and just being a girl dad um, during your time, were you ever like, man, I, I need a son? And you had you have four daughters. 
we ever like, man, I need a son. So I, I did think like that. I'm going to tell you, I, I thought like that until Brianna, who was my second daughter, was born because she is exactly like me. Mm. She's she's just a girl. So, you know, the playing sports, yep. being a very confident, silly person. Everybody likes her. So after Brianna, I, it, I just want a healthy kid. Yeah, for sure. And then with my daughter, um, Sasha, who was my third daughter, um, that was kind of a difficult pregnancy for her mom. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted healthy, happy kids. There you go. There you go. Well, hey, let's. Uh, I want to jump into um, this this podcast here, and and you you sit in a very interesting space in Bearcat history. And I, I'm, I'm very intrigued to, to get you on the podcast, and, and I think the timing of you coming on was very, very important. As, as we get close to the anniversary um, of your shot, and by the time this airs, um, we're actually going to air it on the day, the anniversary of your shot, which I believe, is that is that 31 years? Will that be 31? It's, I believe it's 31. Mm-hmm. Yes, 31 years. It happened in 1989. This is 2020. Yep, 31 years. Somebody's Man. old on here. <laughs> well, hey man, I was a little I was a little kid in the stands um when that happened and we're we're going we're going to get to that. But so what I like to do first with every guest that comes on, I like to ask them and this is going to be an interesting one because I'll have to ask you two different uh versions of it. Why did you choose the number you chose for basketball number 32? Oh my gosh. So, you know, when I was a kid growing up, people really got numbers by their position. So if you were a point guard, you wore 10. If you were a two guard, you wore like 20. If you were uh-huh. three, if you played the three, you played like you wore like in the 30s. So the reason I got 32, so in my high school, we, you wore like an even number at home and an odd number on the road. So 32, <laughs> yep, I, know, yep. I know this is, this is kind of crazy. But <laughs> yep. I, no, I remember those days. Yep. In, in, my, in my high school, I, I just I played the three but I really loved how Magic Johnson played basketball. Then there was a guy named Clark Kellogg. Oh, of course. Clark, Clark Kellogg is from East Cleveland where I grew up. Yep, yep. So as a as a kid, like, we would travel around to watch him play at St. Joe's. So I wanted to wear number 32 and 33. But, but prior to – so when I played JV, I loved George Gervin, so I wore 44. Mm. But I but I played the four, so that's just that's just how it was. Gotcha. Now, do you know Clark? I do know Clark. Yes. You talk about a, a wonderful, wonderful human being. Like oh, I know him God. very well. Is he, is he not the best man? He is. He is incredible. He is. He is awesome. Actually, his I know pretty much his his uh. I know him. His sister, this is a funny story, his sister worked at the Burger King right behind my house growing up as a kid. Mm. So I know his sister, his brother Eric, he had a cousin named Glenn. Glenn was like Daryl Dawkins. I mean, I, yeah, I, I know their, his his family. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, he's, he's, he's the best man. I remember the first time I ever met him, we went to lunch in Columbus. I had an AU tournament, and I had some time in between, and we have a mutual friend that was trying to connect us, and we finally connected, and we kind of blindly met 
for lunch first time I met him, and I, I left the lunch. I'm like, is, is how is it possible he is like this nice of a person? Exactly. Like, yeah. Right? I mean, just so He's accomplished. Yeah. yeah, man, for sure, for sure. Um, okay, so we, we got the basketball side of things, the football side of things. What number did you wear? Eighty. 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 I wore number eighty. So how'd that come about? Okay, so when I was uh, growing up in my neck, there's two reasons that I wore number 80. One is that um, as a kid watching my high school, I went to a high school called Shaw High School. That's right. There was this guy named, um, hold on one second. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Mm -hmm. Okay. There was a guy named um, Alvin Fulton that played wide receiver for my school, and he was, I just thought he was the best, and he wore number 80. And I wanted to be the best, so I said I'm going to wear the same number he wore, but I'm, when I leave, I'm going to be better than him. Mm, I like that. So that, was, that was an influence. And then the other reason was James Lofton. I loved James okay. Lofton mm -hmm. coming, coming up as a kid. So I, um, that's why I wanted to wear number eight. I always just find it so fascinating because – when you ask a player why they chose the number they chose, there's always a story behind it. And there's always, in my opinion, there's always an influence that yeah. influenced them. You know, almost every interview you listen to that I've done, they've been influenced by this person that wore that number prior to them. So, um, so now I want to, I want to kind of do what we call rewind the tape and you already kind of previewed a little bit, but you grew up in East Cleveland mm -hmm. and you went to uh, Shaw high school. So I want to talk about going to Shaw high school um, and playing football. Um, now, was football your your was that your always your main sport, or were you just, were you were just football and basketball, and then football kind of became the thing that was going to lead you to college? So, both sports were always my main sport. It just depended on what time of the year you asked. <laughs> right. Yep. Yep. So, um, if you asked me in September, football was my favorite sport. If you ask me in December, basketball was my favorite sport. Um, but I just happened to be – I probably – not probably. I worked more on being a great football player. Mm -hmm. I, just, I played basketball because I loved it. Now, I never actually – and this might sound a little strange. I never really actually worked on being a good basketball player. I just played it because I loved it, and, mm -hmm. I, and I just was, you know, good at it. Yeah, makes sense. So so how was your football team at Shaw High School? My football team, we we had a uh, school that had great athletes, mm -hmm. but we were not good. So my senior year, <laughs> my senior year, we were 5-4-1, and, mm -hmm. and that was the first time that we had a winning record since 1970, I believe. Jeez. So, so we, so we were, we were. Um, the, but then after that, so after I left, they had a streak where they were really, 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 really good, and they made the playoffs. They had, they had a good run for about ten years after I left. Mm -hmm. So, so this past year, they actually. Um, made the playoffs again for the first time probably I want to say since the nineties or something. Okay. But but they 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 um so um Daryl Talley went to my high school as well. Okay. Okay. They, they played for the Buffalo Bills and so yeah. um 
So I mean, a lot of talent at your at your school. A lot of talent. A, there's a tradition of great, 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 great athletes um, from my city <laughs> and from my high school. Stan Kimbrough. Yep. We went to the same junior high school. That's how I know Stan Kimbrough. I've been knowing Stan Kimbrough since I probably was in the sixth grade. Him and my brother were really, really good friends. So yep, former former Xavier player for those that don't know. Yeah, exactly. So there's just a tradition of great athletes that come up in East Cleveland. But East Cleveland is a area that's very like a bigger version of Lincoln Heights. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of people that just kind of get caught up and, and don't make it through. Yeah, and you 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 said something too about just the talent in Cleveland, especially during that time period. I mean, even even a little bit after you, you look at Ruben Patterson, Melvin yeah. Levitt, Steve Logan, um, yeah. Tim, McGee, Tim McGee's from there, Charles Oakley. Yeah. Am I right? All these guys from Cleveland. Yeah, you you are one hundred percent right. It's, it's just it's just a boatload of talent. And then for all those guys you named. If you talk to those guys, they'll tell you people that were probably better than them. <laughs> they didn't. didn't make it. Yep. There's always those stories for sure. We we have these we have these debates all the time. Who's the best basketball player to come out of Cleveland? Most people say Clark Kellogg, but if you know people that are really from Cleveland, the name Cortez Brown is going to come out. Hmm. Never heard of him. And, and Clark Kellogg. We'll, we'll we'll mention his name, I guarantee you. But, yes, yeah, this is the place where a lot of great athletes come from. Gotcha. You know, and, and that's, that's funny you say that because um, I've got a, a business mentor who's originally from North Carolina, and he kind of grew up watching a lot of street ball back then, and, and he swears up and down. He tells me, he says, you think Michael Jordan was good? He was like, man, there was this guy in North Carolina. Everybody will, will tell you he was as good as Michael Jordan, but he got killed. Like he just couldn't get out of the whole street, the whole street thing. And you you hear about that city after city. You know, I I interviewed Lavertus Robinson, Andre Tate, and both of them from Chicago, and they talk about players that were like, man, if he would have made it, yeah, man. And it's just sad. You you hear a lot of those stories, but. Um, so okay, let me let, let's talk about the, the the football thing again a little bit more. So um, finishing up your football career in high school, what type of offers did you have for football coming out of high school, and why did you choose UC? So coming out of coming out of high school, my major offers, scholarship offers, came from Max Foods. Okay. I had Michigan State, Ohio State. Purdue and Indiana that would have allowed me to come on and be a preferred walk-on. Well, okay. where I came from, we, did, we didn't – preferred walk-on wasn't in the budget. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, I get it. So, I get so, it. Um, so, and then UC came in the picture late because I really was not aware of the University of Cincinnati. When I mm-hmm. looked at the schedule, the schedule was exactly what I wanted. I wanted to, I wanted to challenge myself to play against the best. Mm-hmm. So so coming to UC afforded me that, um, and that's ultimately the reason I chose UC is because the um, the schedule. I gotcha. love the schedule. Was it? Were you there? Was that Dave Curry? Dave Curry, yeah. Dave Curry. So that was '86, right? I came here in 1985, so I would play football '85 through '88, and then '89, the '89-'90 season, I played basketball. 
Gotcha. Okay. And he, I mean, even and and I was I was just a little kid, but one thing I do remember about that that time with football is that you guys did. It always seemed like, you know, every year in the schedule there was always like one or two big time games. Like Miami, Florida. It always seemed like Miami, Florida was on the schedule. Miami, they were like, Florida. Penn we State. Had, I mean, we we had one one year we went three games in row. We were Miami, Florida, West Virginia, Penn State. Mm. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what order it was in, but yeah, we had a we had a big time schedule. We played Miami of Florida, Alabama, Auburn, Penn State, West Virginia. We we played some great schools, and, and that's a great way. Even though the record might not reflect you know great results, but the fact that you're playing you know great competition oftentimes helps recruiting. And in, in such in your case, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And if you look at like Miami Oxford on a basketball side, <clears throat> when um gosh, Wally Zerbiak, Ron Harper, those guys played back in the day. A lot of those guys went to Miami because their schedule was so good. They didn't have great records all the time. They eventually, you know, got good because they got good players, but the whole thought process at that time was let's play a tough schedule. And that's going to help us bring in some recruits. And in fact, that's what happened. But and in, in, in during your time with football, you guys really never had a great record, correct? We never had a great record. I will tell you, my first two years here, we were very, very, very talented. Danny McCoy was the quarterback. Reggie Taylor was a running back. Alex Gordon played linebacker. We had some guys that were really, really, really talented. And for me. Coming into the situation, it was an eye opener for me. But we, mm-hmm. we had really, really talented players. When I played um, at the time that I played, the wide receiver crew, there were four of us that kind of our last. I started my last two years. We kind of rotated four people in because we were considered the the best group of wide receivers in the history of the school up to that up to that point. Mm-hmm. Roosevelt Mutes, who actually made the basketball team with me, but he, he chose not to play. He left the school as the all-time leading receiver. So, wow. so, so it was, we, we, um, it was some very talented people, you know, Jason Stargo. I mean, it, it was, mm-hmm. it was I remember that name. really, really talented people that, that I played with at UC. How was it to play for uh, Dave Curry? Um, <laughs> <laughs> That sounds like this. You got to navigate through that answer. <laughs> you know, anytime uh, anybody goes, um, that they're thinking about how do I navigate through this. So, <laughs> I, I don't. You know, I always want to be politically correct. I, I, I appreciate my time playing football at UCI. I think it could have been better because, again, we had very talented athletes. I, I think it could have been better. I appreciate the opportunity, and you know, everything that you go through. Um, it's a reason. So if I didn't go through that process, I wouldn't be sitting here talking on the phone with you. So, so it, it was a, it was a really really I enjoyed my time. It was a great experience. I met people that I still keep in touch with to this day. So it it, it was great. I I just wish that the success rate would have been better. Yeah, and you, you know, the only thing that bothers me sometimes about your story is that I think your name gets lost in the shuffle of UC Athletics, okay? And and when I say that, UC Athletics, people think of Steve Sanders, they think of one shot. But I often tell people, 
you got to look at his body of work. Dude played football and, and was a walk-on and started at, for, for the basketball. So your body of work was more than just one shot. So do you feel like this your whole football career has just gotten lost in the shuffle because of that one great historic shot? Well, I think it was lost in the shuffle because we weren't that good. Yeah, true, true. I mean, that, I, I think that's the main reason because, again, you look at a guy – like Roosevelt Mutes, who, when he left the school, was the all-time leading receiver. <clears throat> but there's probably not a lot of people who know who he is. I've never heard the name until you said it. Exactly. So he, he was a great athlete. Again, he made the basketball team with me. He just chose not to play, and I'll tell you why later. But um, yeah, I think it was when, when you're not successful, unless you're really, 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 really dominant, people won't mm-hmm. remember you. Yeah, because it's just like a bad team. Yep. Um, yep. So, I, and and you know, I joke all the time with Eric Hicks. You know, he'll say you just made one shot, and I'm like, go back to that. <laughs> I made more than one shot. You know, it's games where I've had where I've made four threes. You know, we played Florida State on the road. We were losing big. I said, Eric, look at the news article. I hit three threes in a row to bring us back. Mm-hmm. So I I just if people think one shot. And, of course, I understand why, but it was more than one shot. I mean, heck, I led the Metro Conference, which was great at that time, at, at three-point percentage. Mm-hmm. So I didn't yep. just shoot one shot, and they and they said, that's it. You shot 100%. <laughs> <laughs> that one shot. But, hey, you know what? That, that, that one shot has, you know, I think it, it's made your name for sure memorable. Um, in the whole landscape of, of Bearcat basketball and history. So, you you know, you've got to take that for what it's worth. But like you said, man, I think your history in UC athletics, um, I think the, the story is not always told. So that's one of the reasons that I wanted to get you on here to tell that complete story. And I'm sure you've been interviewed tons of times about this shot, but how many times have you been interviewed about your football career like we just talked about? Not not at all not, since I left UC. I mean, since I stopped playing football, not at all. See, there you go. There you go. And, and I think I think all that's important to the buildup of the shot in, in your basketball career yeah. at UC. So, so let's dive into the walk-on process um, for you. So how did that occur? How did that conversation between whether it was, you know, hugs, an assistant, to the football coaches, to you. Um, I've never heard the complete story. So could you share that with us, how that process went? Okay, so do you want me to go – do you want me to start from what gave me the confidence to think I could play? Sure, yep. Okay, so when I played football, every offseason, I would always play open gym with the basketball team. Okay. So just playing with those guys – at, of course, at first it was it was an adjustment, and it probably started when um, when Lavertis them came in. Mm-hmm. When I played football, and they came in. You know, the first year they had to sit out. They're they're like a yep. year behind me. Yep. So, him and Lou, him and Lou had to Lou, sit out, right? Yep. Leonardo Givens, Clark. <laughs> well, yep. I don't know if Keith had to. Well, I think they all did. Yeah, I they, think they, they all did because the prop forty eight, right? Yeah. So yeah. So here's what here's what happened, and and. They may not confirm this story, but here's what happened. So when they came and they had to sit out, we used to play basketball in, in the field house. Mm-hmm. So 
So the first night they came in there to open gym, Leonardo, um, it was a guy named Kevin Williams, Keith Starks. I mean, we had a group, we had a, a, a five of football players, and we played them, <clears throat> and we whooped their butt. I mean, wow. we, we, we whooped their butt and opened them. Um, so just doing stuff like that gave me the confidence to know I could play with them. Now, every time after that, they destroyed us. <laughs> <laughs> so you weren't supposed to tell that part. You got to let them tell that part. <laughs> yeah, because the, the, the first time they came, Lavertis wasn't with them. Okay. Then Burke came after that, and L and Lou and Kevin, and they got the role, and then we couldn't do anything with them. But that started, number one, the friendship, and then number two, always playing with them in open mm. gym. Right. Romel Shorter was around. Yep. Um, Sid Glover, after he left, you know, sometimes he would come around, come back in town, and I would play with those guys, so I always felt like I could play with them. Now, fast forward to when Coach Huggins came here, I always played intramural basketball. And um, I guess when they came here, they were looking for players because they know they knew they would be short on scholarship players. So I guess they started the conversation with Branson Wright, who was a sports writer at UC at the time. You know Branson Wright. Mm-hmm. So Branson Wright kind of threw my name and Rosie's name out to the coaching staff. Okay. So, so I didn't notice at this time. So we're playing in an intramural tournament at the end of the season, and Coach Harrison actually played in the tournament with the team. Just wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Larry Harrison played? Yes, he played. Yeah. He wow. played with some guys. He might have played like on the team with Joe Stiffen and um, some other people, but we end up playing them in the championship. So okay. I don't, I don't know who Coach Harrison is. Okay. But we're playing, and I'm I'm just like we're gonna attack this guy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we're going. We you know we we go and, and we end up playing really well. And then afterwards, um, Branson said something to me like, "Would you be interested in walking on?" And while of course in my mind it was always a dream of mine, mm-hmm. I, I never really thought it could happen. But it was something that stayed in my mind for the rest of that school year. Mm-hmm. So coming back to start my my fifth year, um, you know it's, it's it's a thought. We doing the conditioning thing. It was the hardest thing I ever did in my life, and actually, I kind of stopped because I wasn't sure that I wanted to go through this because I my 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 last year was going to be paid for anyway. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking, ah, do I really want to do this? Because this is hard. I mean, mm-hmm. this is. Who was running the conditioning? Was that Mickey Marotti? Him and Lawyer. Okay. <clears throat> yep, you know, John Lawyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we, I mean, it was just so hard that I was just like, I, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. And <laughs> number one, I don't know if I can do it. Number two, I really didn't need to do it. Mm-hmm. So I kind of took, and I went and talked to Coach Harrison and Coach Huggins, and I said, look, I'm not a quitter, and when I commit to something. I really want to commit to it. So I need to make sure this is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. So I, I took a, probably two or three weeks before the official walk-on tryouts. I, like, took some time off. And then as I'm walking around campus, I'm seeing these guys walk around, like, with UC basketball gear on. And, of course, it was before the official 
release of the roster, but they're saying stuff like, I'm, I'm on the team, you know, we're doing this, we're doing that. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and it's some of these guys that I play with in the open gym, and, and, and then my pride kicked in. I'm like, come on, Steve, you're not, you, 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 you need to do this. You're not a quitter. Um, what else are you doing? You mm-hmm. know, you need to really, really focus on trying to do this. So they had to walk on tryouts, and we went. <clears throat> and, um, and then that, from that point on, I was committed to playing. Gotcha. And my and me and Rosie, who we were roommates <clears throat> at the time, we both made the team. And that following, right after we made the team, that following day, Coach Huggins calls us in his office, him and, and Coach Moeller, and they look at us right in the eye, and they say, congrats on making the team. I just want you both to know that you will never play. We we don't need people to play. <laughs> we need people for practice. Yeah. So Rosie and, and, and Rosie is my one of my best friends. Actually he's like a brother to me. I don't even call him a friend, he's like a brother. Mm-hmm. So Rosie after we left was like, I'm not a practice player, I'm focused on graduating, I'm not doing this. Mm-hmm. I said, Rosie we know the people that's on the team. We know it's four people that's better than everybody else. Mm-hmm. After that, I mean, come on, Rosie, we've been playing against these guys. Mm-hmm. And I and I never expected to start, but I figured I could play like 10 or 15 minutes a game, um, contribute to the team, and have a great fifth year. Mm-hmm. And that's, that, that's how everything was. Mm. As, as we um, – so Rosie didn't. So Rosie quit. And there was another guy named Walt, Walt Martin. He made it too, but he came from a junior college, and his grades he he couldn't play. So I ended up being, um, well, with some other walk-ons, but um, of the three that they selected out of that tryout, I was um, I was the only one that, that kind of stayed through. So as we're going through practice, the the more we practice, the more confident I got. And I think what helped me out, not I think, I know what helped me out was my basketball IQ and the fact that I was a senior and more mature than the other people. Right. Because, and I think with, with hugs, there's an adjustment period to, to him because a lot of guys and, and Tate and uh, Vert, Lou, you know, they talked about, you know, their first experience with hugs, yelling and screaming, and some of the guys that didn't have coaches like that, there was an adjustment period. But I don't know this to be your answer, but my assumption is your adjustment period was a lot smoother because you're older. I think the football background probably helped as well with the toughness of that and the the coaching style with that. Was that adjustment, am I right in that, that it was a little smoother probably than some other guys that were shocked at that? You're 100% correct because, um, and they even, they mentioned this in the newspaper during the year. So football has, every football coach yells and screams like Huggins. <laughs> That's right. That's what, I, that's what I thought. Yeah. They and, they, they, and back then, you know, a coach would grab your face mask, shake your head, slap you in the helmet. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's, that's the demeanor of a football coach. So the yelling and screaming never bothered me. Mm. And, and, Honestly, he didn't yell and scream at me that much. Um, the yelling and screaming, that, it didn't bother me one bit. And, again, just being 
just being a little older. Yeah. Now, now again, it's it's just a one or one or two year difference with myself and Keith and Lavertis and Lou and I, me and Andre probably around the same age. But um, for the other guys, I think like the Terrence Gibson and Mike Joyner and those other guys and B.J. Ward, um, it may have taken them a little longer, but it, it did not bother me at all. Mm. But so. So how was that transition? I'm always intrigued by this because I didn't play football. I've always been a basketball player my entire life. So I don't know about, you know, the adjustments you make from going from football to basketball. Like when you did it in high school, you you have your football season, a little bit of time off, then you go to basketball. And you always hear these kids that play both sports say, I got to get my legs back for basketball, you know, just some different movements. You, what's so unique about your situation is, not only are you coming from football to basketball, but you haven't played basketball competitively at that level. Just a, you know, a, a lights are on, popcorns popping type yeah. of situation in years. So how was that transition? I mean, it was, you know, <clears throat> me. It's probably the biggest thing that helped me <clears throat> is that I, <clears throat> my demeanor and my journey through life. I mean, I never thought of what I was doing as a big deal. It was just what I did my whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, that's interesting. I, I I played football and basketball. That's what I did my whole life. Mm-hmm. So this was just another chance for me to go play football and basketball. And I'll tell you, the entire time that I played football, whenever it wasn't football season when we had games. I always thought about in my mind, I would always mentally play out if I was playing basketball for UC. Huh. I supported the team. I would watch them. But I yeah. would always think like, like while I'm watching them play, I'm thinking like, well, man, what, I could be out there. What, 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 if I was out there in this position, this is what I would be doing. Because right. you, know, you had like Steve, um, Steve Jackson that played. I think he played there before me. Mm-hmm. He played for Yates. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So those guys I would watch and you know, your Myron Hughes, mm-hmm. Reed, Roger McClendon, who was just incredible. Yeah. I watched I watched those guys. But mm-hmm. I would imagine like damn Steve, you could be you could be right there on the wing. Hmm. You could be coming off the screen, catching this pass. So it, it I I never thought of it as a big deal. It was just really I was excited because I got a chance to go back and do what I loved doing my whole life. Mm-hmm. So when I was in high school, you know, you have these coaches that say, if you're a basketball player, you got to be a basketball player. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you're a football player, you got to play football. I would always say, I don't care what the coaches do. I'm going to play football during football season. And when basketball season comes, I'm coming to basketball. And if, and if I ain't good enough, then somebody beat me out. Mm-hmm. Or if you think you're better, then you you don't let me take your spot. Mm-hmm. And I'm not letting the coach tell me what I'm not going to do mm. or anybody. Right. So that's why, like, today it bothers the hell out of me. It bothers the heck out of me when I hear these coaches say the basketball players or the football players, you only can play one sport. Right. My message is if I would have listened to that, I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Because my because my second sport, my quote unquote second sport, is the reason we on the phone right now. Absolutely. Yep. And I, and I think and the other thing with that too, Steve. And I'm in the world of of basketball with with my AU programs and. And I always tell, in a selfish way, I could tell all of our kids, hey, don't go play football, don't go play soccer, don't run track, concentrate on basketball the whole time. But my thing has always been, I think other sports help you out in what might be your main sport, your best sport. For example, we had a kid who was an all-state soccer player, and he and he absolutely enjoyed playing soccer, but he loved basketball, wanted to play college basketball. But we never told him, and fortunately his basketball coach in high school never told him to quit soccer because this kid had elite footwork on the basketball court defensively and offensively. And we attribute that to his ability to play soccer. Mm-hmm. And the, the two the, sports kind of working hand in hand. Yeah, the mental toughness that I got from football helped me tremendously in basketball. Yep. Now, let me let me ask you this question, and I, and we've – we kind we kind of had this conversation a little bit some years ago. I don't even know if you remember this, but um, Michael Perry was doing a book signing mm-hmm. at Joseph Beth. Remember that? Yep. And it was me, you, and John Meeker. Yes. And we were sitting there, and and somebody walked in and kind of laughed and said, "The, the three walk-ons here." And I always say this, and I don't know how your mentality is. I never looked at you as a walk-on. And and I don't know if you had that mentality either that you weren't necessarily you know quote unquote that walk on you know I always and, and I don't and other people I don't know how they feel but like myself and John Meeker like we were definitely like you know walk ons we were going to play very much you had the football you know scholarship but it just didn't seem it just seemed like you fit in differently than we did did you look at does that make sense it does make sense. And I, you know, I was, I'm, I'm technically a walk-on, right? Because, because my scholarship was not in basketball, right? But from an athletic standpoint, um, I, I didn't feel like I was a walk-on because I felt like I was at, at, as athletic as anybody. But from a basketball skill standpoint, it took me, it took me a little while get confident, and I'm going to tell you, Andre Tate helped me out tremendously, mm-hmm. and John Lawyer and Coach Harrison, from a mental standpoint, helped me out so much. Mm-hmm. I mean, re- really, three people helped me out so much, Andre Tate, um, Coach Harrison, and Coach Lawyer, mm-hmm. because while I've always... Um, put a high priority on being mentally smart, that's what got me through. Mm-hmm. You know, just 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 the mental aspect of it, knowing um how to and when to. Mm-hmm. And and that that's the biggest thing because I can tell you, probably other than shooting, everybody else was probably more skilled than me. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I could shoot and the fact that I really could think the game I I played really, really smart and tough, and I was not, the moment was never too big for me. It was some stressful times. But, but <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell you, I mean, it was was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, you know, that season. Play, just was, playing playing basketball for UC? Yes. 
Yeah. Wow. But it's but it's prepared me for life in so many different ways. I can't disagree with that at all. I mean, I mean, it's just it's been amazing, and I'm hoping I'm not all over the place. But um, no, 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 this, no. This is this is all good stuff. And, and and I always tell people this. I feel. Do you feel this way? I feel this way. I can walk into a room, and I'll be in a room with ten people. It could be a business meeting, and I feel deep down inside. Like I'll look around and I'll go, of these, if I'm one of ten, these other nine people have not been through what I've been through yeah. with Coach Huggins and playing Division One basketball. Like the grind and what we had to accomplish. I'm like, I can outwork all these people here. Yeah. I have that supreme confidence, and I personally feel like that goes back to UC Hoops. I, I, I feel the same way. Yep. I, I mean, I feel really for me it goes back further than UC basketball, but UC basketball is definitely a big part of it. Yep. So, so to answer your question, I, I never felt like there's different types of walk-on. I didn't feel like a walk-on from the root, the grassroots meaning of it. No, I never felt like that. I felt yep. just as, I didn't act like it, but I felt like I, I was supposed to be there just as much as everybody else. Yep. Yep, I'd agree with that. Well, I'll just let you know this. I interviewed uh, Coach Huggins um, a couple months back, and I asked him, who's the greatest walk-on in UC history? And he crowned <laughs> Steve Sanders as the greatest <laughs> walk-on. He said that. And I was like, you you know you're on my podcast, right, Coach? <laughs> and he goes, well, he's something like, well, you're not, it's Steve. <laughs> I mean, it, I'm, I'm going to tell you, it was just, and, and kind of, so I've never really went in depth like this, like we are talking about it. And really, when I talk about it with you, and I and I remember, it's kind of getting chills in my in my in my body because it just it was an incredible, incredible um, experience. It was intense. It mm-hmm. was stressful. Um, I'll tell you when the season ended, when we lost to DePaul in the NIT. Mm-hmm. Um, we came back to Cincinnati from the airport. I go to my apartment. I pack a bag. I get in my car. I had a 1983 Chevy Chevette with uh, six by nines in the hatchback. I pack it up. I go home. I get to Cleveland, and I, I, I get to my mother's house. I go in the basement. And me, I'm going to tell you, I probably slept probably 70% of the next week. Wow. I was just I was just so You just drained. I, I was just drained and my mother is thinking something is wrong with me and she's like, What did what did they do to you? I'm go I'm gonna call up there and you know but it I was just so mentally and physically drained and I remember Lou Banks just crying his eyes out after the game because he felt like he let us down. And I remember me, while I was really disappointed, I was tired. Mm. Mm. I was, I was, I was, I was, I was, everything I had, I gave. Yeah. Huh. That's, that's very interesting. So, okay, let's take that. Okay, you, you, you kind of started with that end point. Let's, let's kind of take it back to the start of that season. Now, <clears throat> we've mentioned some of these guys. You guys got a great roster. Andre Tate, Vert, Lou, Keith, you know, and go on and on. But 
looking at this season, you guys start, and I, I cannot remember for the life of me, and I, this is where I need your help. Prior to the Minnesota game, which is technically the first regular season game, prior to that, you guys played an exhibition game before that. A team from Germany. Okay, it was a foreign. Okay, the foreign exhibition game. What happened that game? I cannot remember. We 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 started off. It was ugly. I mean, we started off. We ended up winning. I think by maybe, um, maybe twenty some odd points. Okay. So it was ugly. I think Keith Starks might have had eleven fouls in the game. <laughs> it, it just was ugly. We we played hard, but we played ugly. I didn't I didn't start that game, but I started every regular season game. I remember the, my first time, my first shot. I got the ball in transition. It's a pull up jumper from ten feet, and I think the ball went six feet. Air ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So them type things, but we won. It was ugly. It was grinded out. But the thing that I liked about it, and I think what Coach Huggins liked about it, is that we played hard. Mm-hmm. We played hard, but we didn't play good. Yeah. So if you play, if you play hard, you know you can play better. Mm-hmm. Yep. If if you don't play hard, you you won't, you're not going to get better. So. And and that kind of sets the stage for the Minnesota game. Okay. And. Before we jump into the details of that game, how did you personally feel? And were you – and I know sometimes as an athlete, you know, you get caught up in the moment of, of preparation and you're, you're not really thinking maybe like a fan or somebody on the outside of the Shoemaker Center. But did you have any thoughts about you guys were really that next generation of UC hoops? I mean, you think about it. New fiery coach – You've got, you know, some definitely some great players on this roster who people are looking at, hey, this is the future building block of this program, brand new arena. Like, this is a new era of UC basketball. Did you fully understand at that moment what was going on? No, because we were not allowed to think like that. Mm. We, we Huggins wouldn't so, let you. No, heck no. We were so focused on the grind and the process. We wasn't thinking. We was no. We were thinking about getting through that season, and our entire focus up into the Minnesota game was how can we beat Minnesota? Okay. And and we never, you know, this is the great thing about Hugs and why, why I love him and the attitude and everything I went through. We never had a David versus Goliath approach. Mm-hmm. You know, he would tell us like Lavertis, man. You think this guy's more athletic than you? Hell no. You know, Lou, you think that guy's better than you? No, I'd take you any day. Mm. You know, he, we we felt like we could win the game. We felt like we were just as good as them. Mm-hmm. And that was our coach. Mm-hmm. And and that and me probably being um naive to really what the the situation I'm in, I mean, I'm like, let's go. I have mm-hmm. a football mentality. I'm like, look, let's go. Yeah. And, and, I, I, that's that's how I approach it. Like, you know, we can win. All I got to do is defend and don't turn it over and make an open shot. That mm-hmm. was my approach the whole season. So, because so when did be good when, on defense? Don't turn the ball over. If I'm open, shoot it, and 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 don't make mental mistakes. Right. 
Now, obviously, you're doing something right leading up to the Minnesota game because you start. When did you find out you were going to start that game? Um, probably it wasn't a last-minute decision. And as we went through practice, so, again, I'm telling you, Coach Lawyer and Coach Harrison have really mentally helping me out a lot. So mm-hmm. as we're approaching the game, you know, they're saying to me, Steve, you, you're going to get a chance. Be, mm-hmm. be ready. Mm-hmm. Keep doing right. what you do. You're going to get a chance, you know, because we had the red and black team. And, of course, at first I started off on the red, but then you, you kind of you kind of moving your way up. And, and it was a gradual process. It was just a slow, gradual process that really nobody expected. Mm-hmm. But, again, remember, when I sat in Coach Huggins' office, they told me I would never play. Right, right, so, which you didn't in, – in your in the heart of all hearts, you did not believe that. No, I didn't believe that. Um, but that's – that. I'm certain they believe that. Because, hell, remember, I stopped coming to, to conditioning. Yep. So they probably had to believe it as well. Mm-hmm. And they, they were not counting on me. Only in practice. Yep. But I, I knew that I'm going to play. I'm going to get in and do something. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as we went on, and, again, I, 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 I put a lot of emphasis on the mental, I, I could kind of sense it coming. I remember mm-hmm. coming home one day from practice, and, again, Roosevelt Mutes is my roommate. And I say to him, I said, Rosie, I'm going to start. <laughs> and he said, uh, and I'm laughing because, you know, I'm, I'm, I was that kind of dude back then. I'm, I talk a lot of junk. I'm very confident. I said, Rosie, I'm going to start. And he was like, shut up, Steve. I said, Rosie, watch what I'm telling you. Mm. I said, uh, these other guys, they might be more skilled than me, but I think like the mental and the maturity, I said, I'm, I'm going to start. And then a little bit after that, you know, they had an article in the paper saying, guess who's going to be the fifth starter? And they said, right now, it looks like Steve Sanders, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and this is so funny. So that game, I was there. I was there for that game. I was a little kid in the stands. <clears throat> and I'm going to tell you what. They did the starting lineup. Um, and I, I can't remember – who they, you know, for the starting lineup for you guys, who was first, second, third. But I remember when they called your name. I have never seen anyone more hyped <laughs> in the starting lineup coming out than you. You might have had like 30 fist pumps. You pointed to the crowd. Do you remember that? I do. I, I, I remember, um, and I remember Lou saying to me, I remember Lou laughing. Like, Steve, you got to calm down, man. <laughs> hey, I was like, what, what, and keep in mind, myself and others really don't know who you are yeah. other than, you know, I mean, people know you played football. We don't know what type of basketball. I'm like, this dude is hyped up. <laughs> You're pointing to the crowd. I'm like, man, I love it. But I think that energy that you displayed during that lineup was not only infectious that game, I think it was probably infectious, you know, the entire season. That that probably could be true. But, again, Mika, I'm just 
I'm ob- oblivious to, to to what I'm actually doing. I mean, it's it's just I'm just again doing what I've always done my entire life. I've always been enthusiastic about playing sports. Yep. So, so I'm I'm not thinking I'm not thinking like everybody else is thinking like wow this is a big deal. I'm thinking mm-hmm. this is just what I've been doing all my life. This is me at Shaw High School. Yep. Right. This stage it's still we we red and black and white just like Shaw High School. It's just a mm-hmm. whole lot more people here and and we playing a team that's from Minnesota. Yep. So to so talk a little bit about the talk a little bit about the game, the flow of the game and obviously we'll we'll lead up to the eight cents of a second left in, in that particular possession, but just the process of the game leading up to halftime, how how are you feeling about the game? I was kind of just like mentally locked in and just, again, my my approach was I kind of made it easy for myself because what I told myself I needed to do, I think most people could do if they just focus on that. I wanted to play defense. I wanted to not turn the ball over. I wanted to. I, I couldn't make a mental mistake, and th- and every time I caught the ball, before I caught it, I knew I was gonna shoot it or pass it. Mm-hmm. Period. I wasn't trying to dribble through people. I wasn't trying to create offensively. I just wanted to be really, really smart and make smart decisions on the floor. Mm-hmm. So as the game is going on, I'm just focused on. Um, the, the process of getting through the game, mm-hmm. so, and, and mentally and and physically doing what I've mentally already played out. Mm-hmm. You know, remembering the scouting report. I'm telling you, the scouting report was was so good. Nothing right. happened in the game other than the end of it. Nothing happened in the game that we wasn't prepared for. Right. Yep. You know, from the sets they ran, the plays they ran, all this stuff we knew. And it was just a matter of executing the plan and staying mentally locked in. Yeah. And, and again, yeah. the game the game was as the game was going on, I'm thinking like, we can win. Yep. I'm actually out there if if you look at the game and you look at the stuff away from the ball, I'm out there talking junk. One of, you know, <laughs> they players make a mistake, I'm slapping them on the butt talking junk to them. I'm I'm out there just just again, just doing what I've been doing my whole life. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think this game, this Minnesota game, I've always found parallel between this game and the game that I was a part of when we beat Duke in the Alaska shootout. And here's why I say that. Both of them historic games in UC history. Um, both of them very similar in that Huggins had us so prepared. You just mentioned that. When we played Duke the night before in the hotel, he read through exactly what was going to happen that game. And, man, if it didn't go exactly like he was saying, like, we're going to get up by a bunch, they're going to chip away, but we're going to be solid in and we're going to beat them. And, you know, we went on a, you know, dunk by Melvin in the last seconds. Mm-hmm. You guys went on that on that shot. So there were a lot of parallels between that game, but I think that – And uh, not to cut you off, but both players were from where? Cleveland. <laughs> I lobbed that up there for you. I didn't mean to, but I did. <laughs> so we'll we'll call that a victory for Cleveland. We'll we'll we'll, we'll give that to you. But so 
going back to this game, um, and, and, and like I think like what you said earlier, there was a point where you're like, man, we're going to win this game. Like We're going to win this game. And Kenyon said that coming back to a timeout versus Duke, like we were prepared for that game, but once you're in it, and they had eight guys from that Duke team went pro. Eight guys from that team went to the NBA. And Kenyon came back and goes, looks like we're going to beat these dudes. And everyone's like, hell yeah, we are. We had that supreme confidence at that time. So getting to the end of this game here, let's let's just kind of fast forward to the – to the meat of, of this conversation, and that is the eight-tenths of a second left in the game. Okay, we're down by one, 63-64. Um, there's, you guys have, I believe, no timeouts left on the no. meet, right? Right. So no, yeah. no timeouts. They just turned the basketball over. I think we were even trying to foul. Um, we we were trying to foul, and Kevin Lynch tried to throw the ball, I believe, off Andre Tate's leg. Uh-huh. And then missing it just rolled down to the end. Now, I know we came out of a timeout, so I don't know if Minnesota called a timeout. I think they if, did. Or if we had a timeout and we took one. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, I think it was Minnesota. I think you're right. I think you're because right. I, I remember we were in the timeout. So talk about that timeout for you because this is what's fascinating to me. I interviewed Andre Tate, who threw the inbounds pass. I interviewed Lou Banks. And I interviewed Lavertis Robinson, who were main options coming out of that timeout, you know, looking for their, them, those guys to get a shot. So you're in the timeout. What are you, what are you hearing, and what's going through your mind? So I'm like off the ball, and coach, mm-hmm. and we had like this triangle set up where I think we had Keith set up in front of the rim, and Lou and Burke kind of like on wings, and they're mm-hmm. supposed to come off Keith and they're supposed to try to throw the ball up to the rim to get a tip in. Mm-hmm. So, and that and that's what we're talking about. But right at the end of the huddle, Coach Tucker said, if you can't get it in there, you know, he says, Steve, I want you to swing around. And he says, you know, if you can't get it in there, then Steve is your last option. Mm-hmm. So he kind of says that. So coming out of the huddle, again, I'm listening, coming out of the huddle, Huggins grabs me by the arm and he says, "Steve, if they can't get it in there, you gotta you gotta break open." Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm like, okay. So again, as the play starts, I'm kind of seeing that it's not going to come open. Mm-hmm. So if you look at the play, my football <clears throat> things came in <laughs> the wide receiver. I gave Melvin Newborn a move which allowed me to get open. Very similar to something I would do if somebody was playing bump and run coverage. Mm. So I give him a move, and the only thing I knew I got to catch it and shoot it. Remember I told you earlier, every time I caught the ball, I knew I was going to catch it or shoot it. Mm-hmm. I probably took the least amount of dribbles of any guard in the history of basketball. <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. But so I come around and I catch it, and I'm telling you, and you you had you you can shoot the ball, so you had these moments. You just feel like when you catch it, when you jump up, when you release it, the ball can only go in the basket. Yep. And I promise you, me, that's what I felt. Mm. I, as soon I, as it left I, your hand. As soon as I caught it, you know, 
how I got off the ground, you know, the release. The ball could only go in. Mm-hmm. And 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 the you know, of course that happens. I catch it, I shoot it, the ball goes in, and I I'm telling you, I've never had so much energy <laughs> through my body. <laughs> and if you look at the entire thing and people I don't know too many people that have looked at what happened afterwards. So I make the shot, I jump up, I run. Tackles me. Ironically, me I put my hand in the air. They let me down. They celebrate. Me said, "Look at it. I ran across the court, yep. up in the stand. I'm, 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 uh, I'm slapping students' hands. I come back down. The whole team is gone. I'm on the floor, just waving my hands, and then I come in the locker room." And I'm it's so much energy going through my body, I just had to go and lay on the shower floor. Wow. And kind of just let myself calm down. Mm-hmm. I had so much energy that was going through my body, it kind of felt like I was plugged into something. Yeah. That's funny, that, that energy you had in the starting lineup carried right over. Yeah. It's it's so ironic that you make that shot and end up getting tackled. <laughs> the know, football. Right. <laughs> right. Man. But no, I remember I remember that play and I mean I've watched the um the video of it, you know, over the last couple of years I've seen and you, you see it sometimes at U C game, they'll have it on the, the Jumbotron where they show, you know, great highlights and one thing I always remember about that is you guys first of all you had the right guy making the inbounds pass in Andre Tate. Couldn't be a better person, right? Absolutely um, right. I mean, great. He's, he's a big guard, great IQ, just great feel for it. And I'll never forget this. When that play's developing and, you know, you get Lou and, and Vert kind of going to the basket, Andre Tate is looking at them. He even leans yeah. to the right. You remember that? Yeah, absolutely. He wasn't even looking at you. And then oh. once that breaks down, you make that move you're talking about, and Tate goes, boom, he shifts his attention to you, hits you right there in that shooting pocket. With, with, I mean, it was just like the perfect pass to you. Everything was perfect. Yep. And, and again, I, I did, I did, only thing I had to do was make the shot. Yep. And, and, and again, it's just it's, it's ironic because, so let's fast forward if we can to that next morning. So I'm sitting mm-hmm. in Coach Huggins' office, and he says to me, now this is, I think the game was November 25th. Yep. 1989, so November 26th. It was says, a Sunday. He, he says to me, was it was it a Sunday? No, when you, the next morning was Sunday morning. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so he says to me, he says, Steve, you know you, you went, you, you in Bearcat history now. <laughs> and again, this just shows how oblivious I am or naive to, to what I'm doing, you know, the importance of what I'm doing. My response to him was, Coach Huggins, in two weeks, nobody's going to be talking about this. Shit. <laughs> Boy, were you wrong. <laughs> yeah, I said, I said, in two weeks, ain't nobody going to be talking about this. Man. It, 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 that's what I'm saying. 
Mm. And then it's crazy because, you know, as we go through the season, and again, it was a our season should have been a reality show. It would have been great. Mm-hmm. Because we had so I think we had nine games that came down to the end. Um, but as we're going through the season, what's making me realize what's going on is that number one, I'm in the paper a lot. Mm-hmm. We're doing what I'm doing, and then number two, coaches from the other team are saying to me like either before the game or after the game, they're like, "Son, this this is a great experience for you. What you're doing is incredible." You just enjoy this because there's mm-hmm. not there's not a lot of people in this country that have done or are doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and and again, I'm just means my thought is this is what I've been doing my whole life. Not to mm-hmm. downplay it, but I just I didn't understand it at the time. I'm just trying to have fun and play. Right. Yep. Now here here's the million dollar question. What was it like? That next, so that game was on a Saturday. What's it like Monday, walking around campus? Because I want to tell you this: after we beat Duke and we came back to campus, that next full week of camp of a of a school on campus, mm-hmm. rock stars. I'm yeah, it, was, it was it was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, it, it kind of, so, again, it, it kind of took me back to high school because in high school I was always the star. It's, it's probably some people who didn't like me then because, you know, athletes, you feel arrogant and entitled. So I'm, mm-hmm. walking, around campus, I'm walking around campus with the paper in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm going in PGC, you know, I'm yeah. going in the, the student union, like, I, I remember walking in McDonald's and all my guys sitting in there. And mm-hmm. I just walk and I just throw the paper on the table and just walk away. <laughs> hey, I don't blame you. I you don't know, blame so, you. So it was great, but I'll tell you the next game was very humbling. We played Miami of Ohio. We lost, and I was one for seven. Ooh. And Coach yeah. Hudson was the type. He was like, mm, you ain't make no last, you ain't make no game winning shots in this game, huh? <laughs> Bring you back down to earth. Yeah, which, 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 again, the whole season. I mean, for me, I I had no margin for error. So, I mean, I I was just I was just trying to stay focused and stay in the moment. And I I promise you, my main thing was Steve. Don't hurt the team. Mm. Yep. Now, after you made that that big shot. Did you ever hear from the football coach? Was Dave Curry still there, or had he, he was gone? He was gone. Because Tim Murphy came in at that point, Tim right? Tim Murphy came in. Yes, mm-hmm. the only coach I heard from after that was my position coach, Coach Clark, and he okay. was no longer at UC. He was at Virginia Tech, so he kept okay. in touch with me. That he he actually still um, still was supported me and kept in touch with me through that time. So I did hear from him after that. Okay, that's good. And 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 his his message was because remember when you asked me how football was, I kind of paused. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said, "I'm glad you you are having this great experience. You deserve it. I'm mm. sorry the way football went for you guys." Mm. Mm. Interesting. 
So yeah, he, he I heard from him. So let me ask you this, when and I and I talked to Roger McClendon, interviewed him, and you have a similar experience to Roger in that um during the pandemic, um UC was putting out these watch party games from the past, which I think w- was absolutely fabulous. I'm so glad they did that. They need to do that more. Yep. And so I talked to Roger McClendon and I was like, what was that like for you? UC's, you know, reshowing the, you know, the old game versus Louisville. And he's like, man, it was so cool. He's like, I could sit down with my family and kind of rewatch this game. He says, I haven't seen that game in years and my kids get to see it. What was that experience like for you, that watch party? You were the face on it and it was because of you that game's being shown again. How was that for you? It, it was it was crazy. I mean, I'm just like, mm-hmm. but but here's the crazy part. So my two older daughters, of course, they know about it. But I'm I'm watching it with my two younger daughters, and they again, I told you they don't care about sports. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, hey y'all, that's me right there, and they pretty much like so or you know, <laughs> they don't care anything about sports or. You know, they it's, it's, they just like, okay, so we, we don't like basketball. Do we have to watch this? I'm like, this is history. Y'all don't want to watch this. So it, is, it was for me because it was my first time watching the game in a long, long, long time. People probably think I watch it all the time, but I don't. Mm-hmm. So it was, it, was, I, it, was, it was crazy. It was cool. But then I probably watched it about five or six times. And I and I watched it from a different perspective just to pay attention to how the game went. Mm. What did you how, discover? I, you know, just like I said, I, I, as the game went on, I'm, I'm really thinking like we were as talented as they were, mm-hmm. and we played like we were supposed to be there. And and then I just thought about that whole year, like you know, I started thinking about the whole year. So, Elnardo Givens played the year before me, but he didn't play that year. So, I'm thinking if we have three or four more pieces, we could we could have went to the NCAA. I really believe that because mm-hmm. I, I felt like Andre, Lou, Keith, and Lavertis could play with anybody in the country. Mm-hmm. We played I would agree Duke. with that. We played Duke that year. Lou... And Andre might have had 25 and 27. Now, that's Kristen Leitner, Bobby Hurley, Aldo Nabi. I mean, I've, I've seen those guys play against the best in the country and hold their own. The first was as athletic as anybody. Just oh, no five. question. You know, if he's, if he's just 6'5 or 6'6, six, six, so or if he's 6'9 if he's or 6'10, that's an NBA player. Yep. Andre Tate that year. What he did that year was incredible, and and it's and it's not appreciated enough. Yeah, I'm sure I'm sure Huggins appreciated it because mm-hmm. everything we really had one guard and four forwards. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Mm. Yep. So everything was on him, and I know. He had, if I was mentally stressed out, it just had to just be a lot on him. So, I mean, it, it was. Hold on one second. 
it was um it was really um like a lot. Hold on. Hold on. How you doing? Good. Um, my name is Brian. I live in Kansas. I'm I'm kind of doing a phone interview. Is it important? Um, I can. Uh, uh, I've just been trying to touch base with you. Ten minutes. Okay. 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 All right. Come back. Yep. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry, me. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah. Somebody knocking at the door. <laughs> I just see this guy like walking up my walkway, and he looks like something's wrong. But anyway, my hey. my bad. No, no, we're not, and we're not editing that out. We're gonna let that ride. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's all, it's all good. But no, you know what? You said something, I, and I, I totally agree with you. And when I talk to you know Tate and Lou and Vert, I think your guys' team that season deserves a lot more credit for where we are as a basketball program today. You, you guys, that first group with hugs, that first group in the shoe. And you guys kind of set that stage for how Bearcat basketball is going to be played moving forward. You guys kind of set that stage. I agree. Yeah. I agree. And 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 again, it was. I mean, it's just I'll never forget it, and it's just really set the stage for. You know how my life has been. Mm-hmm. It, it, so it, it it just I think it sets the tone. And you know I joke with. Um, with Eric Hicks and them guys, I'm like, look, if I wouldn't have made that shot, none of y'all would have came here. <laughs> That's I, a great I, point. I, I remember seeing Huggins at the at the uh, at the Final Four reunion a couple of years ago, and and when I see him, you know, it was so good to see him. And, and again, I'm I'm a very silly person, so I, I look at him and I say, Coach, what's going on? He's like, Steve, what's up? And I said, You know, I made you famous, right? <laughs> No, but think about how different things could have been if you didn't make that shot and we didn't win that game versus Minnesota. Yeah. Exactly. Things could have been different. You never you never know how one game, one moment can shift history. Um one thing I do want to talk about, Steve, is I, I know we talked about that game in particular, but looking at this complete season, you guys went twenty and fourteen. Was there any other game that really sticks out to you during that season. I know you talked a little bit about the Duke game. You guys beat Louisville, who was number eight that year. Uh, no loss in the crosstown shootout to, uh, to Xavier. But was there any other game that stuck out to you that season? That Xavier game. <clears throat> okay. Yep. I've, I've, ne- I've never been in an atmosphere that was so electric. And Man. we should have beat them. They were, they were ranked so high. I just remember being so pissed off after the game. But that game sticks out. Um, but it, it was so many moments. I mean, we like I said, we had eight or nine games that came down to the end. We beat Louisville at Louisville. Yep. Um, we beat Florida State three times that year. They were very talented. We played against Bimbo Coles for Virginia Tech that was an Olympian, and he was just amazing. Man. For me – for me, every game was like the biggest challenge in my life because, again, while as an athlete I feel like I could be there, as a skilled basketball player, I just really my margin for error was was very little. Yeah. So, a hundred percent of my mental had to be there, mm-hmm. and of course, that's that's far more taxing than the than the physical. 
So it, it was so many things that that I remember about that season. Um, the last game at the Paul, the way we lost um, because I because I, I I just it was the end, and and again that whole experience was just very impactful on my life. So that mm-hmm. um, just the the it's hard to the whole season is just memorable. Yeah. So um, I, I do want to ask you this. I think, um, gosh, I forget how many years ago it was, maybe four or so years ago, maybe a little bit longer, um, they brought you back and they honored you for the shot um, and mm-hmm. brought you to, to half court. Isn't that right? Yeah, about four or five, three or four or five years ago, yes. Okay. And I really think they need to do that. I know they did that for, for several players. <clears throat> I hope they keep doing that more and more. Because um, there's just been so many great memories, you know, over UC basketball and bringing those folks out. Um, how does that feel for you? Great. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's just great. I mean, it's just really what I, what I would love to do. But my my schedule kind of permits. I, I, you know, I really want to. I really wish there was more of a connection between present athletes and former athletes, basketball players, and, and just, yes. just we can – I know there was an effort one time with the one-team shirts that came out and all that. I just really think we need to do more of that. And we're a family. I love I love UC Bearcat basketball. Mm-hmm. So so um, it felt great to do it. It's good to be appreciated and remembered. But um, I, just, I just wish from a personal standpoint – um, my schedule allowed me to to personally and, and physically support the team, or just by being there and watching mm-hmm. them, you know, just getting to know them guys. Um, because we all we all you know we come from the same cloth. We all want UC basketball to be very successful. Oh, no question. And, and we need to support them guys, and we need to support um, the coach and and all that. Have you have you had a chance to meet Coach Brandon or, or speak with him yet? I've not met him or spoke to him, but I want to. Okay, we'll make that happen for sure. Yeah. Great guy, man. I think he's gonna. I, I, think, I think he's a great guy, and I just, I just watch him from afar, and I think he can do extremely well here. So, agree. I totally agree. I want to ask you this: the football program. I mean, Fickle and and Coach Freeman and the staff right now. I think this is as good as we've seen a UC football program. The momentum they have. What What are your thoughts on the UC football program? I mean, they, right they, they look like they look like they belong and they could play with anybody. And I'm watching them, and they they are. It's just a here's the, here's the shame in it all that we're in this situation where everybody can't get to go down there and enjoy it. I know, I know. Because I mean, it would be a madhouse. It would be. It would be a madhouse, and but but they are. I mean, they are a well-rounded team. They're getting national attention. Um, everything is just great. I'm loving it. I watch them. I love the quarterback. You know, they they just they they are a complete team. They're yeah. physical. They hit you. They run the ball. I mean, it, it's great. You know what's 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 I think been. A large part of Coach Fickle's success I have seen has been this. When he took over the job in 2016, he had 11 players on his roster that were from the state of Ohio. Mm -hmm. Fast forward to today, and I believe he has almost 45, 46 players 
from the state of Ohio on his roster. He's made it a point to draw a circle around a radius in this area and say, I'm gonna I'm gonna get players from this area. There's so much talent in this this area. And for the life of me in two thousand sixteen there were only eleven kids from the state of Ohio on Cincinnati's football team. Yeah, Ohio Ohio State shows you that Ohio is good enough if you get the talent from Ohio, you'll be good. And yep. Cincinnati is definitely the same. If you can get your people to stay here, you'll be good enough to compete. Yep. I, I totally agree. Yeah. So, so that's that's. Yeah, I, I think the keeping um, homegrown talent here is is essential. And in a state like Ohio, that's a hotbed for talent in football. It's, it's just important. And and Fickle's doing a great job. I I just hope and pray he can stay here. Yeah, that that would that would be great. That would be ideal. So, okay, the last thing I want to do before your neighbor comes and knocks on your door here again, <laughs> I like to do quick questions and quick answers with each guest on the show. So, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, here we go. Quick questions, quick answers with Steve Sanders. Number one, of the football, basketball walk-ons in the history of UC Bearcat basketball. Who was the best all around? Steven Sanders, of course. I love it. There's your confidence <laughs> right there. Now, Brad Jackson's going to have something to say. Yeah, but he can't say too much because I, the numbers back me up. Yeah, yeah. He was good. And the, and the other guy, what was his name? Was it uh, Petrus or? Yeah, uh, there was uh, Brent Petrus, um, Antoine Peake, uh, Connor Barwin. Alex Meacham was good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, I mean just the football, to, yeah. to basketball. So football to basketball, me. It's it's me. Them guys was good, but they wasn't they wasn't better than me. <laughs> Talk your shit. I like it. I mean, they, no, they they was they, 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 they was good, and they 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 put up a good fight, and you know they can almost they 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 like fighting for number two. Good, I like it. I they, like they it. Fight, but but we, you know, they nah, they ain't there. They they ain't nah. Now, after doing this interview, I am intrigued to hear the answer to this question, okay? Mm-hmm. Question number two, if you had to do everything over and you could play one sport at UC, what would that sport be? Oh, man, I can't answer that. Mm. I, I mean, Meeks, you have to – so everything that I've done prepared me for everything that I did. So mm. – I, I I I can't I can't answer that. And and okay. the reason the reason I say that so so easy is that I've been asked that question all my life. Um, but I, I both experiences were great for different reasons. Gotcha. So gotcha. Okay. if I had to do everything all over again, it would go exactly how it went. Gotcha. That makes sense. Okay. Okay. Now question number three. We're going to go back to November twenty fifth. 1989, getting ready to play Minnesota. You're in the locker room. You've got your headphones on. What pump-up music are you listening to to get you hyped up to beat Minnesota? Boogie Down Productions. Ooh. Yeah, I'm I'm a a KRS-One BDP person. That's what I listen to all the time. And and, uh, Rakim, you know, I had a Walkman. (laughs) (laughs) Say say Walkman to a kid today. They'd be like, I know, what? They like it, really? Yeah, that's like yeah. I had a I, I listened to um, 
KRS One, Boogie Down Productions, uh, Rakim, Public Enemy. That's what I'm listening to. Probably some um, some Ice Cube. Mm. But that that that's that's what I'm listening to. I've long said that my favorite hip hop song of all time is My Philosophy. KRS One. That's incredible. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I'm a KRS One guy. And, and I, the reason I, I, I got, um, I came to knowing we played records and football, so I took my radio, and um, when I went to sleep, they had the um, DJ Red Alert was on all night. I just mm-hmm. had 120 minute cassettes. You know, these young guys don't even know what a cassette is. <laughs> I'm about to say dinosaur hunting, but I had a um, cassette, mm. and I just pushed record and recorded all night. Yeah. And then when I came back to Cincinnati, I listened to it. Mm. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. I'm listening to, to KRS-One, um, Public Enemy, you know, Eric B. and Rakim, Ice Cube. That's, that's what I'm listening to. All good stuff. Okay. <laughs> well, hey, I don't, I don't blame you. I, normally, I would say 90% of the time, I lift weights. I'm listening to old school hip hop. I'm listening to mostly nineties. Yeah, I'm I'm right there. Yep. Okay, fourth and final question. Okay. If you had to go to battle and you could only take one, one of your teammates from your UC Bearcat times, this could be football or basketball, what one player are you taking with you to be on your side? go to battle with? Just, I can't take one from basketball and one from football? Okay, let's do that. Okay, so football, I'm taking Von Booker. Ooh. He, he was a little younger for me, but but I, I remember me being older than him, and mm-hmm. we, would be, we would be in parties, and Von would say, hey, uh, Steve, anything happened, let me know I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> He was looking for you. So, so Bob, and basketball, I mean, people don't realize this, but but Keith Starks used to throw some shots during the game. If you look at it, he he caught somebody flush in the jaw with an elbow and then Mm. he took his hands up like he don't do anything. So, (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm taking uh, Bob Booker football because Bob was ready to roll. And and and, uh, and and he starts, and we gonna go, we gonna go wherever we need to go, and we gonna we gonna be on your handle business, man. I love it, I love it, man. This was great, man. A great interview, man, and great stories. I really appreciate. It. I think, like I said, your your story's fascinating. Um, it's interesting in the landscape of, of Bearcat history, and I, I don't think your your story's told enough. And I think the football side of things kind of. Um, gets lost in the shuffle. So I'm glad that you've had an opportunity to kind of tell the full story and uh, we can definitely get it out there. Well, I, I appreciate you, man. I appreciate everything you do. And uh, any anytime, any, anything I can do, just this I'm here calling. I'm looking forward to I know you can set that up where I, where I, I get to meet Coach, Coach Brady. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll definitely make that happen, man. And, uh, yeah, get to your neighbor, man. He's knocking on that door. So you got man, to I, I got the door. He, he came up looking... You know, I paused a lot because he was looking like something happened. So <laughs> I hope um, everything's okay. I, I got a I got a Biden sign in my front yard. I hope he ain't. <laughs> <laughs> let me let me <laughs> <back> that topic. <laughs> I'm gonna let you go on that, man. 
Hey, man, I okay. appreciate you coming on the podcast. We'll catch up soon, Steve. Okay. All right. Have a good one. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. I want to thank everyone for listening to Season 2 of The Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Once again, you can follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Alex underscore Meacham. Meacham spelled M-E-A-C-H-A-M. I'm also on Facebook and LinkedIn, Alex Meacham. I'm on Snapchat, Big Meach 41 And I'm now dancing on TikTok at Alex Meacham 41 I appreciate everyone listening to the Bearcat Basketball Podcast. Go Bearcats!